Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have David McKeegan with me. David and Carrie McKeegan are the co-founders of Greenback, an expat tax services company. Being American expats, David and Carrie were fed up with the process of filing U.S. expat taxes. So in 2008, they have started Greenback, an expat tax services company. Since the beginning, they have helped over 7,000 tax filings. I'm very excited to have David on Success Harbor today to learn how he and his co-founder started and continue to build Greenback. Welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for being here, David. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about what happened before Greenback? Uh, what were you doing prior to starting Greenback? Sure. Well, before working at Greenback, uh, or before starting Greenback, my wife and I were both working in finance in London. Uh, Carrie was working with Barclay Card, and I was working with Bank of Scotland. And so, did you own any businesses? Have you started any businesses prior? No, no, nothing like that. You know, we'd gone to business school a couple of years before. Uh, you know, we know a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, our, my father's an attorney, so he ran uh, his own practice. My mother is an interior designer, so she ran her own business. Uh, Carrie's father started his own business, which uh, mm -hmm. he's been running successfully for over 20 years now. So, you know, we've been around entrepreneurs and always just figured at some point we would start something or do something entrepreneurial. Uh, and, you know, eventually it just got to the point where we decided that the opportunity cost of staying in these big banking jobs uh, in London uh, was very low. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the financial crisis was hitting. Uh, mm -hmm. They were asking if anybody wanted to put their hand up and take packages. And in the UK, it's very different than in the US, uh, where, you know, when I put my hand up and said I would take a redundancy package, I got paid out for, I think it was six months. Mm -hmm. um, so Very generous. Very yeah, generous. it gives you a very nice runway to, uh, to help you get a business off the ground. <laughs> Yeah, once I was laid off here in the U.S. from like a Fortune 500 company uh, two weeks before Christmas, and they paid me two weeks. So it's oh, a very man. different world. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you took the uh, the redundancy package. Did you already know that you wanted to start a business, or it was more like, well, maybe we start something, or did you have something already in mind? Well, we'd actually, by the time I took the redundancy package, we already had clients. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. You know, we were running the business kind of nights and weekends, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of as a test of concept. But this so was. So, how long, how long was that? Was it like maybe a couple of months or was it like a year or two? How, how long did you kind of run it on the side? Uh, it was a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, what happened was we were. Right at the start of the financial crisis, we were on a vacation and we were sitting on a beach in Croatia. And, you know, we started talking about what we wanted our future to be like and what we wanted our lives to be like. And basically on that vacation, we determined that uh, if we wanted to have a family, if we wanted to be able to continue to travel and see the world, we weren't going to be able to do that while working 60 hours a week for you know these big companies. Mm -hmm. So 
we actually started writing a list and the goal was to write a hundred different business ideas that we thought we could do successfully. And that's you know, great. We, that exercise. How, where did you get the idea for that? I, you know, I don't remember the book, uh, but Carrie was reading a book at the time uh, that that's what they suggested you do. You know, you just try and mm -hmm. make as complete or as exhaustive of a list as possible by, you know, trying to get to a hundred different ideas. And, uh, and did you have criteria like uh, that it, it, that the business had to fit certain things like it had to be location independent, for example, or it had to be, you know, did you have so, certain kind of criteria? That was actually the second iteration. So the first one, we just tried to put down any idea we could come up with. Um, mm -hmm. And then the kind of like just one, brainstorming. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then the second one, we started filtering those ideas and the goal was to have something that would be location independent. Okay. Okay. And so how do you decide on expat tech services? Well, it, to be honest, it kept rising to the top of the list because uh, there's Americans living all over the world. So if you want to mm -hmm. be able to live anywhere in the world and still have access to a client base, you know, there's Americans all over the world. So it ticked mm -hmm. that box pretty easily. Okay. Uh, it okay. was also something that we knew that people had a lot of problems with uh, in the past. How did you know? Self, How did you know? Well, we had had a problem with our taxes when we were living in London, uh, where a accountant that we had worked with in New York uh, basically botched our taxes and we had to file amended returns and jump through a bunch of hoops and hurdles and make payments mm -hmm. and then wait a year to get refunds and, you know, all this kind of mess. nonsense. Yeah, it was a mm -hmm. mess. And so yeah. In, in the process of sorting that out, uh, you know, we had had to read a whole lot of the tax code and talk to a lot of different experts about how to fix it and, you know, really mm -hmm. got up to speed on what the issues were. And then talking to a number of our friends and business acquaintances and things like that in London who are also Americans, uh, we started to realize that, you know, some of these people were getting absolutely hammered. Uh, you know, paying 3,000 pounds a year to do their U.S. taxes. Uh, oh, wow. and at, the, at the time, that was close to $6,000. Wow. Uh, so, you know, just paying money out the, uh, out the wazoo. And, you know, one of the things I always thought was funny was if you ever go to like a charity golf outing or uh, anything like that, and you look at the cars that people are pulling up in, you know, the partners from KPMG or, you know, the other big four companies, they always pull up in these really nice cars, you know, mm -hmm. Porsches mm -hmm. or Audi A8s, <laughs> you know, these kind of things. And uh, so when we were talking about business ideas, we sort of thought, you know, there's enough margin in between yeah. <laughs> you know, that guy driving his Audi A8 and uh, what we need to live the lifestyle we want to have, uh, you know, right now we're in Bali, Indonesia. Uh, mm -hmm. to really make a successful, profitable business uh, that you know, has fair pricing for clients and you know, really makes a professional service available uh, to anybody that needs it. So how long did it take you to kind of crystallize that idea that, yeah, we are going to go with the expat tech services? Was it a matter of months or weeks uh, when, when you settled on this idea? Yeah, it was probably a matter of weeks uh, for us to settle on the idea. And, you know, it was, 
I, I don't want to say it was uh, a fortunate time because I don't think anybody in the world would consider the uh, financial collapse that happened in you know, 2008 a uh, fortunate time. But the timing worked well for me uh, mm-hmm. in that I had been super busy. I was doing loan syndication for uh, Bank of Scotland. And uh, it wasn't unusual to work till you know, 8 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that all stopped. You know, I mm-hmm. think in the first half of 2008, I syndicated about one billion pounds worth of debt. And in the second half, I didn't sell a single pound worth of debt. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, everybody was leaving at five o'clock, getting in at nine o'clock. So, you know, I had a tremendous amount of uh, free time, which hadn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would get home, start working on the business idea. Carrie would get home. She was still much busier uh, with her job. And mm-hmm. uh, we'd come home, we'd have dinner, we'd talk about the business, you know, brainstorm ideas, wake up the next morning, start working on it, go to work, be thinking about it all day long, get mm-hmm. home, start working on it again. Uh, so, you know, really between the time we had the vacation and the time that we hired a web builder to start working on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was probably, I don't know, two months, three months before we'd gotten it that far. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about a little bit about the process because this is a very important point for anybody out there that's listening and wants to start a business uh, in terms of selecting that niche that you're going to go after in your business. So one of the considerations you mentioned was that uh, you want it to be location independent. What were some of the other areas that you looked at that, that you really needed to, to, to meet for this, for this business that you selected ultimately? Well, a lot of them, to be honest, were personal considerations. Um, you know, we wanted it to be something that we'd be proud of, that, you know, if we told our parents we were doing it, mm-hmm. uh, they would be proud of it and want to tell their friends about it and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we didn't want to do something that, you know, for lack of a better word, seemed at all scammy or mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. fly mm-hmm. by night or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a pretty big consideration. Um, and, you in know, terms wanted, of skill sets, I mean, are you both CPAs or were you CPAs at the time? Or No, neither of us had a tax background at the time. Uh, okay. I'm an IRS enrolled agent now, which is the highest federal designation. Um, but it, the business model was always to bring in expert accountants uh, mm-hmm. to have them prepare the taxes for people. And I looked at your site, and you have quite a few of those. So, so, so you didn't feel like, yeah, I'm I'm an accountant now, working for a, what, a big consulting firm, so I'm going to go out and do the same for or something similar. So you didn't really have a tax background, but you 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 chose to go this route. Exactly. Okay. What what were some of the other concerns? It had to be something legit. It had to be something you are proud of. Uh, and and what were some of the other things? Anything else that you considered? Well, the other big one for us was it had to be something that you know, added value or helped society. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we thought that running a business that would help people do their U.S. taxes for you know, a very reasonable price uh, would add a lot of value, certainly to the circles of people we knew in London. And uh, you know, now we've got clients in over 140 countries around the world. So uh, – 
Yeah, I saw that number, and that kind of blew me away because I think there is like the UN only recognizes about 200 countries, so that's pretty. You guys cover the majority of the globe, so that's pretty impressive. We're getting there. (laughs) So let's talk about kind of um, validating your ideas. Uh, Have you done any kind of testing? Like, did you actually reach out to some people and say, "Well, would you hire us to do this? How much would you be willing to pay for it?" Have you done anything like that? We actually looked at it the other way. So we had a number of conversations with Americans we knew in London, and everybody seemed to think it was a great idea. Uh, so that was sort of how we validated that. But also, since we were expats and continue to be expats, we knew that it was something that the market needed. Um, but then as far as pricing goes, what we wanted to do was make it very affordable for people. So, you know, we did a very informal survey of probably about 10 people we knew in London asking them how much they paid uh, to have their taxes done. And, you know, most of them, it was over Mm $1,000. So when we started putting together a model for the business, uh, you know, we were trying to figure out, well, how low can we price this service uh, and still make a reasonable profit for us so we're not you know, killing ourselves for no reason, but mm-hmm. really try and make it as, as affordable as possible uh, for everybody out there. So, you know, the goal was to make it so that a, you know, English as a second language teacher uh, living in Vietnam can afford our service just as well as a banker living in London. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you get your first customers Our first customers were really word of mouth. Um, You know, it was going out there and, you know, telling our friends in London, hey, we're starting this business. If, uh, you know, if you want to give us a try, this is the pricing. Uh, It's 20% of what you're paying now, so you don't have a whole lot to lose. Um, But we also, we did some Google advertising in the beginning because it's one thing to have your friends say, yeah, it's okay, I'll use your business. Uh, but it's another one to have somebody you don't know, have never met, uh, you know, sign up, register, and agree to pay you. <laughs> so that's in 2008. You already have done some uh, Google AdWords uh, campaigns back then? That was 2009. 2009. Yeah. And was that uh, profitable for you? I mean, because, uh, you know, the conversion rates are not usually very high with those campaigns. So um, it, it wasn't the best channel. And it. Yeah, Google continues to be uh, a pretty poor channel for us, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it did it did prove that the business idea was valid uh, mm-hmm. because people we didn't know were registering and uh, using us to do their taxes. And yeah, I remember the first time we got a customer that came through Google. Uh, yeah, I felt like a kid on Christmas morning. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, somebody we don't know signed up to do this. This is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 how? Uh, just back to word of mouth a little bit. How far did word of mouth get you? Did it get you like the first fifty clients or the first dozen clients? I mean, give us an idea. How far did uh, word? Because I'm sure you continue to get word of mouth business, but in the very beginning, it's 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 also very important too. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, it was probably the first two or three dozen clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't it wasn't transformational, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was a very good first step, uh, and that really helped us iron out the process and make sure everything was running smoothly 
before we really tried to scale the business up. So how did you deal with credibility? Because I would imagine that that's a big challenge, especially in a business where you have a global clientele. I mean, you mentioned you know somebody could be teaching English uh, as a second language in Asia, and somebody else is in London, you know, uh, an investment banker. So you really have a wide range of countries uh, that you're dealing with. I mean, people that live in a wide range of countries and. How do you? What did you have to do, or or was that an issue at all to build credibility with new clients? It, it definitely was. You know, I remember having phone calls with people in the beginning, and you know, one uh, one prospect asked me, you know, is this some kind of Russian scam? You know, are you going to take all my uh, all my personal information and then start selling it in the black market in Russia? And, uh, you know, obviously it was no. And I explained to the person what my background was and, you know, how we sourced our accountants and, you know, what their backgrounds were and said, you know, we're on LinkedIn. We're, uh, you know, we have our pictures on our website. We have our accountants mm-hmm. on our website. You can look us all up. We're a hundred percent legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're not sending this work out to, uh, some third party shop in India or China mm-hmm. to, you know, who's going to leave your information on their desk overnight or anything like that. Yeah. You know, we're, uh, we're very similar to you in that we're expats and this is the service we built because this is the service we were looking for and we couldn't find it. You know, it's interesting how far just a phone call can, can go and take you, right? When somebody calls you and you actually answer the phone and they talk to you, you know, to me, that's still a very valuable credibility builder. Yeah. And, you know, of course, now it's much harder to do that because, uh, you know, we're doing a couple thousand of tax returns each year. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, now we try and do it a little bit more scalable. You know, we always have tried, even from the beginning, to write content that is uh, very user-friendly you know, we take out a lot of the jargon that you would find in most uh, tax writing and try and just explain it in a way that, you know, somebody's grandmother could read it and understand it. Um, you know, we do a lot of webinars. We do a lot of uh, videos that we put up on our website, really just so people know that there are people behind this business, that, mm-hmm. you know, we're not just some big black hole that, you know, you send your tax details into and, you know, you keep your fingers crossed that you don't then hear about it on uh, CNN as some kind of scam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so so today, now that you do so many so many taxes and, and you, you you obviously have a track record, uh, what do you find is is that people are looking for in terms of knowing that they can trust you? What what do they look for? What are what kind of questions are they asking? Well, a lot of the time, what they want to know is who the accountant's going to be and uh, what their qualifications are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we only hire accountants that are experienced with expat taxes, and we only hire people that are either a CPA, which is the highest state designation for taxes, or an IRS enrolled agent, which is the highest federal designation for taxes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to do a lot of work to become a CPA or an enrolled agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gives people a lot of comfort right there that, you know, mm-hmm. the people put the time in to get those certifications. They know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, obviously we put them through the ringer. We have them do tests and practice exams and, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff like that before we hire people. 
And it's also the people that you hire help build the credibility as well. So it, it, it really works out. So let's talk about maybe if you could share a few of the biggest challenges early on. I'm talking about, you know, the 2008, 2009, the first year or two building um, Greenback. What sure. stands out as a major, major challenges? Yeah, our first web designer uh, we found on Elance. And he got about halfway through the project and then went completely silent. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think we had agreed a price for the first website of you know, $800 or something like that. And uh, in order to get the guy to finish it, we ended up having to pay uh, $1,400 or something like that. Um, wow. I don't really think the scope changed at all, but mm-hmm. you know, we were sort of over a barrel and uh, the clock was working against us because it was already, I think it was already March by the time uh, the web designer went quiet. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a pretty big challenge for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the personal side, it was a pretty big challenge when, you know, we told our family, like, you know, I told my parents that I was leaving my uh, big banking job and going to start a business in a sector that I had never worked in before. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I can see how they would have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah, my dad's line at the time was, yeah, I always figured everything would be okay as long as I had a job. Uh and I didn't mention this earlier, but Carrie was pregnant at the time. So oh, uh, wow. we had our first child in 2009 as well. So, you know, we're in the middle of the worst financial crisis most of us have seen. I take a voluntary redundancy package from uh a bank that would have kept me on had I wanted to stay. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my wife is pregnant, so at least my parents thought I was completely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else on the on the business side that was a challenge uh, early on that stands out? Maybe one more thing that you can think of? Yeah, I think one of the hardest things was getting used to uh, finding good suppliers, you know, finding people that – could help you put together a CRM system or finding people mm-hmm. uh, that would help you, um, you know, just do the things that were a little bit peripheral to the business you know, not the mm-hmm. core doing the tax returns, but, you know, building like the, the back website. office type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Support, software. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And a lot of that was challenging and very, very discouraging, but I'm very happy that you know, Carrie and I stuck with it. We've got a great team now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it all worked out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about seasonality of your business? Is that, is that a challenge or, 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 or not so much? When we put the original business plan together, uh, we were thinking, because, you know, for expats, the tax deadline is June 15th, but you can file an extension out to October 15th. And mm-hmm. so we were thinking this will be great. You know, by the end of June, the tax year will effectively be done. And, you know, so we'll work our butts off from January to June and we'll sit on the beach from July to December. Uh, not quite the way it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, the expat business is much less seasonal than we had originally anticipated it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people do file extensions. You know, people that live in Australia don't even start getting their tax 
documents until uh, July or August. Uh, you know, the UK tax year ends in April. So a lot of people do end up getting extensions and that pushes the tax year past uh, the June deadline into the October deadline. Um, and a lot of the accountants we hire are shocked that, you know, we keep them as busy as they are, even into October, November, December. That is pretty good because it's not such a shock on the business in terms of revenue then uh, as it is for, you know, uh, CPAs that are doing tax in the U.S., which is, you know, it's a very seasonal business here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about um, marketing. Uh, what is what what are what are the most effective ways to market your business today or maybe in the last 12 months or or so well, we continue to do a lot of uh what we call poll marketing so you know just trying to put really good information out there uh that people will find helpful and it builds credibility for us so um, what do you mean by out there when you say wh- where do you put that information well, we've got a lot of information on our website. You know, I, I think we have over 350 blog posts, uh, all of them either written by me or uh, by our accountants. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like very high quality information. Okay. Um, you know, we do a lot of webinars now. We probably do one or two webinars a month uh, to try and, you know, get people basically in a small group, you know, maybe 50 people or 100 people. Uh, we always have accountants on the line so that people can type in questions in the chat field. And uh, so where do you get the people? I mean, do you, do you have that much traffic organically that comes to your site? And then through that funnel, you, you build these webinars? Or, or where, where do you get all these people, these sign-ups? Well, we do get a lot of traffic on the website. Uh, but we also work with a lot of the groups overseas. So, you know, we try and um, work with, you know, the different organizations for expats overseas. And mm-hmm. then we'll tell them, hey, why don't we do a webinar for your members or, you know, uh, you know we'll do a webinar for, you know, people that live in Dubai. And we'll get in touch with mm-hmm. our friends at the Dubai sites and say, you know, we're going to do this. Do you mind uh, letting your folks know? And then those are the people that end up registering for those webinars. So where do you get the idea to do this? Because that sounds like a pretty good idea. Instead of going to the, the end consumer, you're, you're going to organizations they belong to. Where did you get that idea from? We actually started getting contacted by uh, some of the local sites saying, mm-hmm. you know, originally we would reach out and say, hey, can we put an article up on your website? It's about taxes. It's not going to be an advertorial. Uh, it's going to be real information that real people would use. And, mm-hmm. you know, sites love that because that helps them with traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it gives their users useful information. Uh, and then we had somebody, I, I don't remember who it was, say, you know, we've got a lot of people asking questions. Is there any way, you know, you guys could jump on the phone or do a webinar or do something like that? to help these folks get their questions answered. And, you know, it was like a little light went off. It was like, yes, we can definitely do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes, makes perfect sense. So, so that, that makes sense. So webinars uh, sounds like a great way for you to get, uh, get new clients. What other ways are very effective today or have been very effective? 
Well, you know, we joke around that the IRS and the Department of Treasury has done a great job running our marketing for the last couple of years. Um, you know, all the information out there about uh, the foreign bank account report and FATCA, um, you know, the problems with the Swiss banks and all these different things just means that there's a lot of news out there. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, they start to hear about some of these things and they start to wonder, okay, what's going on with this and what do I need to do? And then they start searching, you know, they go to Google or they go to Bing or, you know, whatever their preferred search engine is, and they start looking for information and they stumble on us because we put a lot of information out there for, you know, those exact individuals. So, you know, a lot of like, I guess you'd call it pull marketing or content marketing. So that would be organic then. So they they don't really find your ads on Google AdWords, but they found your blog posts, the 350 or so blog posts that you have on your site. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Any other any other marketing? I mean, I would imagine word of mouth is is probably a big part. Is it still a big factor? Yeah, word of mouth is a very big uh, source for us. You know, we ask our clients that if they're happy, you know, tell a friend. yeah, you know, organic is big. The webinars are pretty mm-hmm. big. Uh, mm-hmm. What about social, uh, like Facebook, Twitter? Are you doing anything actively with that? We're starting to get into that a little bit. Uh, but you know, taxes, it's kind of like your financial underwear. You know, everybody mm-hmm. has them, but nobody wants to talk about it. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so far, social has been much less relevant for some of that stuff because, you know, you might talk about that kind of thing with a close friend. Uh, yeah, but you're not kind of like drug addiction. You, you're not going <laughs> to post on Facebook that, you know, I found a really great drug addiction place. <laughs> I hadn't heard uh, it compared to drug addiction, but yeah, I guess you could see that as well. <laughs> Or a bankruptcy attorney, you know, it's it's not one of those things that people will say, you know, I, I had a really good chapter seven uh, right. bankruptcy filing. <laughs> so so let's talk about, you know, I when I looked on your site, you've been featured on Time, CNBC, CNN Money, Newsweek, just to mention a few. How do you manage to, to get featured on all these uh, kind of A-list uh, websites and publications? Well, yeah, we get contacted by reporters quite a bit. Um, about, let's see, maybe June of last year, we started working with a publicist as well, uh, you know, just to try and get some information out there about us. And we do a expat survey each year, um, asking a number of questions, you know, from our client base and from our prospect lists uh, about, you know, how people feel as American expats and what they think are yeah, how the government's treating them, what they think about mm-hmm. the tax situation and some of these other requirements and things like that. And so about June last year, we really wanted to get that out there. I think, forget how many responses we had, 700 responses or 800 wow. responses. And uh, so we hired a publicist to help us try and start getting that out there. And then we started hearing from a lot of these you know, credible news sources asking, oh, you know, can you comment on this? Can you comment on that? Uh, and so, you know, we've been doing a lot of work trying to uh, make sure that we're building partnerships with those uh, organizations and, you know, that we're a reliable and credible source for them when they need that. Yeah, that sounds like a really valuable thing. Actually, I would be very interested in seeing that myself, too. Um, 
What is the uh, biggest mistake that you have made in business since uh, since starting? That would be a great learning experience for our audience. Yeah, probably the biggest thing would be giving people too many second chances. Um, you mean people like uh, your people that provide service for you, or employees, or? Well, a bit of both. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if I could go back again. Uh, we probably would have dropped that first web designer and immediately gone with somebody else rather than you know, having him up the price on us and change the terms and everything mm-hmm. be delayed mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but you know, one of the things we've gotten a lot better about is how we hire and trying to use things like assessments, uh, tests, practice tax returns for the accountants, things like that when we're hiring accountants or you know, when we're hiring people that aren't accountants, we write out very specific role profiles so we really understand what it is the person needs to do uh, before we start doing the interviews. Because it's really easy to find somebody that you like and you think you'd get along with and you know, mm-hmm. it's easy to talk to, but maybe they don't have the exact skill set you need. So yeah. especially when you're small and people need to wear multiple hats and uh, – you know, are working longer hours and things like that, you really need to get in there and make sure you're getting the right people brought onto the team. Yeah, you can't really afford to carry the wrong people uh, yeah. when you're that small. Yeah, it's not like a Fortune 5 of the company. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if if, if somebody saw your success with, with Greenback, um, let's say they had a job just like you did before you started this business, and and they say, you know, I, I, I'd like to start a business. I want to become an entrepreneur. What do you think is the first skill set they would need to have? What, what's the one thing that you would teach that person or would you want that person to know? It's not going to be easy. Um, yeah, I think we probably worked a tremendous number of hours for the first two or three years with very little reward. Um, you know, the business was growing, but from a very small base. And you know, it's a little bit hard because you know, we left big jobs where we were making good salaries and had pension contributions and all this kind of stuff. And you know, all of a sudden we were in a position where we didn't have as much disposable income uh, you know, we weren't taking fancy vacations. We weren't uh, going out to posh dinners and stuff like that. Uh, it was okay because we set the business up to be location independent. So, you know, for part mm-hmm. of the time we were living in Brazil, part of the time we were living in Indonesia and in Bali. Uh, so, you know, we were, it, it made it a lot easier to bootstrap it. But if you're bootstrapping it and you're trying to live somewhere like New York or London or something like that, uh, you have to know and you have to be willing to have a very dramatic lifestyle change because you're not going to be having a big salary come in, at least in the beginning. And mm-hmm. you know, you got to be comfortable with that. You have to know what the end goal is for you uh, so that you, know, you can sort of persevere through all the work that has to happen to make the business a success. Mm-hmm. No, that's very good advice. You mentioned that you're in, in Bali. Uh, how did you decide what's going to be kind of your home base? I mean, you, you, you don't live in the same place throughout the year. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how you made the decision and where, you, where you're actually operating your business from? Sure. 
originally we thought that we would be doing, you know, moving every six months and, you know, being able to see the world and everything like that. Uh, we've got three kids now. So we had the first one when we started the business. Uh, we had the second one about two years, two and a half years in. And we just had our third child uh, in July of 2014. Um, wow. So we operate on more of a hub and spoke travel model now. Mm-hmm. So we've got a home base here in Bali. Uh, the kids are in school here. You know, we have a house and everything like that. And, you know, we'll do weekend trips from here, go to Australia for two weeks or go to Singapore for a weekend, you know, trips mm-hmm. like that. So we can mm-hmm. sort of explore around the region. Okay. Um, you know, since starting the business, we've lived in Brazil, in Uruguay, in Argentina. Uh, you know, we've spent time in the UK and Spain. And then, mm-hmm. it, you know, we did a month or so in Australia and then a lot of time here in Bali. Um yeah, and it, so why Bali? Is it the climate or it, what, what, is the, what is the reason? It's a really nice place for kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We live in a sleepy little beach town. Yeah, it's a bit touristy, but that's good. It keeps all the restaurants uh, going. Uh, we can walk to the beach. We don't need a car. You know, when we drop the kids off at school, we can just walk them over in the strollers and drop them off in the, you know, with the strollers. Uh, and then on the weekends or in the afternoon, you can go down to the beach and the kids will just sit down in the sand and start digging or, you know, they'll go out in the water. There's no big waves where we are, mm-hmm. so they can go out mm-hmm. in the water and play with their buckets and their shovels and stuff like that. Uh, and it's really relaxing. Very family friendly and, uh, and relaxing. Exactly. That sounds like a great place. Never been. Just got back from Thailand. My wife and I went, uh, in November and we loved it. And, oh, uh, awesome. I'd like to go to uh, Bali too. So uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming on Success Harbor today. How can people find out more about um, Greenback or, or maybe connect with you, uh, expats, uh, you know, anybody that would be uh, interested in finding out more about expat uh, services or, or just, just, uh, just your business? Sure. Well, for our business, the best place to go is greenbacktaxservices.com. Uh, you know, that has a ton of information on there for anybody that's interested in uh, the tax side of things. And if people want to connect with me personally, uh, my email is dmckeegan, M-C-K-E-E-G-A-N, at greenbacktaxservices.com. Well, thank you, uh, David, and I, I wish you continued success with Greenback. And everybody out there, check out greenbacktaxservices.com. And uh, thank you for listening, and thank you for being here, David. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye, everybody.